0: Letter 18 of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume 2. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume 2, by Samuel Richardson. Letter 18. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Tuesday morning, seven o'clock. My uncle has vouchsafed to answer me. These that follow are the contents of his letter but just now brought me all the written last night late i suppose monday night miss clary since you are grown such a bold challenger and teach us all our duty though you will not practise your own i must answer you nobody wants your estate from you are you who refuse everybody's advice to prescribe a husband to your sister your letter to mr Solmes is inexcusable i blamed you for it before your parents will be obeyed it is fit they should your mother has nevertheless prevailed to have your going to your uncle Antony's put off till Thursday. Yet owns you deserve not that or any other favour from her. I will receive no more of your letters. You are too artful for me. You are an ungrateful and unreasonable child. Must you have your way paramount to everybody's? How are you altered? Your displeased uncle, John Harlowe. To be carried away on Thursday to the moated house, to the chapel, to Solmes. How can I think of this? THEY WILL MAKE ME DESPERATE. TUESDAY MORNING, EIGHT O'CLOCK. I have another letter from Mr. Lovelace. I opened it with the expectation of its being filled with bold and free complaints on my not writing to prevent his two nights watching in weather not extremely agreeable. But instead of complaints, he is full of tender concern lest I may have been prevented by indisposition, or by the closer confinement which he has frequently cautioned me that I may expect. He says, he had been in different disguises loitering about our garden and park wall all the day on sunday last and all sunday night was wandering about the coppice and near the back door it rained and he has got a great cold attended with feverishness and so hoarse that he has almost lost his voice why did he not flame out in his letter treated as i am treated by my friends it is dangerous to be laid under the sense of an obligation to an address's patience especially when such a one suffers in health for my sake he had no shelter he says but under the great overgrown ivy which spreads wildly round the heads of two or three oaklings and that was soon wet through you remember the spot you and i my dear once thought ourselves obliged to the natural shade which those ivy-covered oaklings afforded us in a sultry day i can't help saying i am sorry he has suffered for my sake but tis his own seeking his letters dated last night at eight and indisposed as he is he tells me that he will watch till ten in hopes of my giving him the meeting he so earnestly requests, and after that he has a mile to walk to his horse and servant, and four miles then to ride to his inn. He owns that he has an intelligencer in our family, who has failed him for a day or two past, and not knowing how I do or how I may be treated, his anxiety is increased. This circumstance gives me to guess who this intelligencer is. Joseph Lehman, the very creature employed and confided in more than any other by my brother. This is not an honourable way of proceeding in Mr. Lovelace. Did he learn this infamous practice of corrupting the servants of other families at the French court, where he resided a good while? I have been often jealous of this leman in my little airings and poultry visits. Doubly obsequious as he was always to me, I have thought him my brother's spy upon me, and although he obliged me by his hastening out of the garden and poultry-yard, whenever I came into either, have wondered that from his reports my liberties of those kinds have not been abridged, so possibly this man may be bribed by both yet betray both worthy views want not such obliquities as these on either side an honest mind must rise into indignation both at the traitor maker and the traitor he presses with the utmost earnestness for an interview he would not presume he says to disobey my last personal commands that he should not endeavour to attend me again in the woodhouse but says he can give me such reasons for my permitting him to wait upon my father or uncles as he hopes will be approved by me for he cannot help observing that it is no more suitable to my own spirit than to his that he a man of fortune and family should be obliged to pursue such a clandestine address as would only become a vile fortune-hunter but if i will give my consent for his visiting me like a man and a gentleman no ill-treatment shall provoke him to forfeit his temper lord m will accompany him if i please or Lady Betty Lawrence, will first make the visit to my mother, or to my Aunt Harvey, or even to my uncles, if I choose it, and such terms shall be offered, as shall have weight upon them. He begs that I will not deny him making a visit to Mr. Solmes. By all that's good he vows, that it shall not be with the least intention either to hurt or affront him, but only to set before him, calmly and rationally, the consequences that may possibly flow from so fruitless a perseverance, as well as the ungenerous folly of it, to a mind as noble as mine he repeats his own resolution to attend my pleasure and mr morden's arrival and advice for the reward of his own patience it is impossible he says but one of these methods must do presence he observes even of a disliked person takes off the edge of resentments which absence wets and makes keen he therefore most earnestly repeats his importunities for the supplicated interview he says he has business of consequence in london but cannot stir from the inconvenient spot where he has for some time resided, in disguises unworthy of himself, until he can be absolutely certain that I shall not be prevailed upon either by force or otherwise, and until he finds me delivered from the insults of my brother. Nor ought this to be an indifferent point to one, for whose sake all the world reports me to be used unworthily. But one remark, he says, he cannot help making. That did my friends know the little favour I shew him, and the very great distance I keep him at, they would have no reason to confine me on his account. And another, that they themselves seem to think him entitled to a different usage, and expect that he receives it, when in truth what he meets with from me is exactly what they wish him to meet with, excepting in the favour of my correspondence I honour him with, upon which, he says, he puts the highest value, and for the sake of which he has submitted to a thousand indignities. He renews his professions of reformation, He is convinced, he says, that he has already run a long and dangerous course, and that it is high time to think of returning. It must be from proper conviction, he says, that a person who has lived too gay a life resolves to reclaim before age or sufferings come upon him. All generous spirits, he observes, hate compulsion. Upon this observation he dwells, but regrets that he is likely to owe all his hopes to this compulsion, this injudicious compulsion he justly calls it and none to my esteem for him although he presumes upon some merit in this implicit regard to my will in the bearing the daily indignities offered not only to him but to his relations by my brother in the nightly watchings his present indisposition makes him mention or he had not debased the nobleness of his passion for me by such a selfish instance i cannot but say i am sorry the man is not well i am afraid to ask you my dear what you would have done thus situated But what I have done, I have done. In a word I wrote, that I would, if possible, give him a meeting to-morrow night, between the hours of nine and twelve, by the Ivy Summer House, or in it, or near the Great Cascade, at the bottom of the garden, and would unbolt the door that he might come in by his own key, but that, if I found the meeting impracticable, or should change my mind, I would signify as much by another line, which he must wait for until it were dark. Tuesday, eleven o'clock. I am just returned from depositing my billet. How diligent is this man! It is plain he was in waiting, for I had walked but a few paces after I had deposited it, when, my heart misgiving me, I returned to have taken it back, in order to reconsider it as I walked, and whether I should or should not let it go. But I found it gone. In all probability there was but a brick wall, of a few inches thick, between Mr. Lovelace and me, at the very time I put the letter under the brick. I am come back dissatisfied with myself, but i think my dear there can be no harm in meeting him if i do not he may take some violent measures what he knows of the treatment i meet with in malice to him and with a view to frustrate all his hopes may make him desperate his behaviour last time i saw him under the disadvantages of time and place and surprised as i was gives me no apprehension of anything but discovery what he requires is not unreasonable and cannot affect my future choice and determination it is only to assure him from my own lips that i never will be the wife of a man i hate if i have not an opportunity to meet without hazard or detection he must once more bear the disappointment all his trouble and mine too is owing to his faulty character this although i hate tyranny and arrogance in all shapes makes me think less of the risks he runs and the fatigues he undergoes than otherwise i should do and still less as my sufferings derive from the same source Are greater than his. Betty confirms this intimation that I must go to my uncle's on Thursday. She was sent on purpose to direct me to prepare myself for going, and to help me to get everything up in order for my removal. End of letter 18.